Um, so yeah, my name is uh, Tommy. Um, I am uh, yeah. I've been coming to Blueprint for about a year now. Um, I'm just sort of. I mean, my biggest dilemma at the moment is where I sit or where I stand. So I might just sort of be a little bit. I might. I might stand, or I might sit later on. We'll just see how I go. I prefer sitting, but Rose said that I should try standing. Um, so, yeah, this is a big moment for me. Um, tonight, um, I'm going to be talking about work. Uh, we are in a season of Lent at the moment, and uh, part of Lent is that we sort of examine our life and see what it is that we can pick up and what is it that we can put down. Um, and ultimately, the hope is at the end of Lent, we've sort of gone through this refining process of um, yeah, getting to the core of what it means to, to be a Christian. So tonight I'm going to be talking about work, but I, I also just want to put a caveat in that when I, when I say work, um, I'm just going to be speaking about work in general. So that might be like a nine to five corporate role, or it may just be that you, um, you volunteer lots of time, um, and you don't get paid for it. Um, it may mean that you don't like officially work, you just do some other stuff. Um, whatever it is that you do or consider work, like that is what I'm trying to speak to tonight. Um, so hopefully all of us can sort of identify um, with what it is that I'm trying to share. Um, yeah, and I suppose this full disclosure, talking about work, um, here's someone that uh, officially like left his job a couple of weeks ago. So like, uh, yeah, woo! Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I'm sure if I'm fully qualified, but we'll just see how it goes. Um, but in all, in all honesty, like, this topic is something I'm really passionate about. Um, I've been, well, prior to me leaving my job, um, I worked as a journalist for five years um, for stuff. Um, and there's a few journo students in the room, I think. I can see you around here. Yeah, that's cool. So hopefully this doesn't put you off that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I worked as a, as a journalist for stuff for five years. Um, so to begin with, I just thought I'd start sort of sharing a little bit about where I come from. Um, you can flip to the, to the first slide. Uh, okay, so this was actually, yeah, this is some um, scripture that is part of the seasonal guide. I think was it last week? Um, yeah, some good scripture up there. You've all got your Bibles. Note that down. Um, and we'll just go to the next slide because I forgot to put that one in there. Yeah, that's what we get into. So this is a picture of, um, of Waipokoro, where I'm from. Yeah, in uh, rural Hawke's Bay. It's a, it's a sprawling metropolis, as you can see. It's the Angkor Wat Bakery. Um, Scribe got food poisoning from there once. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, this is where I grew up. I grew up in a small rural town. Um, I went to a small rural school. And uh, my life in this town was probably like a lot of people that live in um, the provinces. I was kind of always hoping that I'd be able to get out. Um, always hoping that there would be something bigger and better on the other side of this main street. Um, and in particular, that was going to reinforce for me because uh, growing up, I had a reasonably sort of turbulent childhood. Um, my parents divorced when I was quite young, and there was just some addiction issues and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so for me, I always dreamt that one day I would be able to get out of here. And I suppose I sort of have a, a, like a bit of a redemption story. Um, that was kind of my hope. And whenever we talked about, oh, what do you want to do when you're older? Like, I was always just like, I just want to work in an office. Like, I don't actually know what I want to do, but working in an office and having meetings sounds like you've sort of made something of your life. Um, and so that's kind of what I wanted to strive after. Um, so yeah, eventually when I did enter the workforce, I entered the workforce um, as a journalist. And quite quickly it became sort of 
um, obvious that journalism was something that I was quite talented at. Um, and like, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but if someone said to me, like, what's the point of a trumpet if you don't blow it? Um, and so, yeah, I just, I just trust that you, that, you, um, that you know me and you know that what I'm sharing in terms of some of the, the highs and the lows is for the benefit of, of the wider picture of what we're talking about. So, yeah, essentially, when I became a journalist, I just really, like, succeeded. I got the job that I wanted while I was studying, and when I got that job, I started getting paid really well, and then I got lots of good opportunities, and very quickly, I was like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted to become a journalist. I wanted to make something of my life, and I like left this small town and gone and done this great thing, and that was also like reflected back to me, because obviously working in the media, it's like reasonably public, so people would see what I was doing, and they would see that I was on the front page, or I was covering this or covering that, and then people would say to me, oh, like, that's amazing that you're doing this, man, that's such a cool job. And I was like, yeah, that is a cool job. Like, I'm really lucky to, to have this. Um, but I suppose in that reflecting back, I think what started to happen was I was like, yes, exactly. All the things that I hoped would happen are now happening. Like, I'm getting noticed, I'm getting paid, something good is happening. Um, and I also think that just the nature of being a journalist, and I'm sure there's other people in this room who have similar jobs, it just drew people in more than if I said I was, I don't know, like, um, I have friends who are really good plumbers, and when we'd go to parties and people would be like, what do you do? And I'd be like, I'm a plumber. And there wouldn't really be a follow-up question to that, but when I'd be like, I'm a journalist, then all of a sudden everyone would be like, oh, that's really cool, that's, like, what do you write, who do you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it's just, yeah, I think I really, I really capitalised on that. I was like, yeah, this is good. People are drawn to me. People are really interested in me. Um, and this is exactly what I wanted. So I just want to pause there and go sort of rewind the clock past White Park, past my life, all the way back to Genesis. Um, <laughs> right um, yeah, a little bit. Rewind it. Because um, really it's there that we find what God had in mind when he created work. And very quickly, when we talk about what God had in mind, it's not what I created it to be in my own life. Um, so, yeah, in the beginning, we see God actually set to work. Um, he sets to work in creating the universe. Um, on the six days and on the seventh day, he rests. So this is a God that we worship who is, like, really interested in working. He really enjoys work. He created this beautiful, amazing, vibrant earth. And not only did he create the earth, he then creates Adam, and out of Adam he creates Eve. And he sets them in the garden with like this real simple description of what they're meant to do. They're just meant to work, and they're meant to rest. And yeah, so we can see from um, Genesis that yeah, Adam's mandate was to work along with Eve. Um, and he was given dominion to do this, to work and keep the earth, and to also imitate what God was doing with the rest. But also, oh yeah, and actually on that point, I was listening to, do you guys listen to The Bible Project? Yes. So good, yeah, it's a good podcast. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast about work that they were doing, and they were saying that um, like the Hebrew language at this time, used at this part of the Bible in relation to work, is that it's not like work as we would know it. It was actually work... Um, and translate into almost like it just everything you do flourishes. And I was like, man, if that was like the intention of what work was meant to be, then like how wrong has work become right now? Because like how many of us know like we're going like most of us are probably going to work tomorrow. 
not me, I quit my job. Um, you guys remember tomorrow. Um, tricks on you, know, tricks on you. Um, most of you go to work tomorrow, it's kind of like that necessary evil. It's like, oh my gosh, I have to go, I have to slog. But that, when God created work, he's like, no, this is this really beautiful thing. And when you do it right, Adam and Eve, you will grow closer with me. Um, but of course we know that there's the fall. Can you go to the next slide, please? So yeah, this is the picture of Adam and Eve. It was actually quite difficult to find a picture that was like appropriate for tonight. Um, a lot of nudity in that garden, eh? So God had created this parameter for Adam and Eve to succeed in, to work in, and to do really good things. But as we know, um, the one tree that they were told not to touch um, gets touched. And this is the, the picture of how sin enters our world. And um, it's in this that we call the fall, that things go drastically wrong for everything that God created. Like everything that God wanted to be good, all of a sudden, is no longer good. And that also relates to our work. So if we fast forward again from Genesis to now, I think it's quite easy if we take sort of a global picture of work, not just our work, but sort of work in general, we can quite easily see how things have gone wrong. We look at sort of how capitalism has corrupted governments. We see what's happening to the environment. You know, that's very much connected to the economy, which is very much connected to how people work. And I think in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of how we are, we are working, um, something seriously bad has gone wrong. And I think it's very hard for us to, to pinpoint exactly what it is. But it's, I think when we look back at the Genesis story, we can see that, yeah, things are not good. So my first point really is that as we talk about sin and Genesis and all that, we need to remember that God created work for us and work was good. It was an integral part of our relationship. Um, but through him, work has been corrupted. So coming back to me, which is the main point of tonight. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to start sitting soon, eh? It's just, it's just not working for me, right? I'm just going to have to sit down. Yeah. Um, am I sitting on the court? Oh. Is that okay? Um, so coming back to me, I kind of doubled down on the message of like, yeah, throw your whole life at work and something good will come of it. When I say that, I really did. I kind of would do anything for work. I wasn't like a, a real... Um, yeah, like a real bad person, but I definitely prioritise work above relationships, above my family. Um, I just kind of was like, this is the one thing that is going to get all of us where we need to go. And I was still a Christian. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't abandon my faith in this pursuit. But I was like, no, the right thing to do is to pursue these, these career paths that have been set out for me, and really good things will happen. But then it got about two years in, I felt like there was a bit of a whisper. And I was like, ooh, this whisper is not good. Because the whisper was kind of like, Tommy, like, normal things are well here in this area. And I was like, okay, um, what does that mean? Like, what does this whisper mean? And you know when we have those whispers that God's kind of like, you know, something's, something's stirring. And we're like, hmm, yeah, I'll just ignore that. Um, because I was like, no, I'm holding on to this quite tightly. And rightly so, like what I've sacrificed for this job and the things that I've had to do to get here. I was like, I'm not going to give this up for God. I'm not going to be one of those radical blueprint people who goes off and, you know, leaves the workplace for a better life. And I was also like, who am I if I'm not 
in this job. I'm just that kid from my park. You know, that's not, that's not who I want to be. So I was like, okay, if there is something else that you're calling me into, God, A, let it be well paid, and B, <laughs> let it be really good for my ego, because I need my ego to survive, and I need my pay packet to uh, cover up a lot of my insecurities. Um, I'm like sweating quite a lot, hey? It's very hot. Someone want to get me a little napkin? I'm just, I'm just conscious. I don't want to... So, um, so, yeah, I'm discerning, I'm discerning, I'm all discerning, we're all discerning, trying to work out what it is that we're meant to do. We hear the whisper, oh, what is it? You know, I'm kind of discerning, but just kind of like waylaying the, the inevitable of like what probably God is going to do. So I just sort of go, you know, yeah, when everyone's asking me, I'm like, yeah, I've heard this thing. I feel like God might be like asking me to do something different. Thanks, Hank. Um, um, I've got one, thanks. Um, and so while I'm discerning and I'm like, okay, I feel that God is actually going to open up another door. And I was kind of open to that. I was actually like, okay, if he wants to open up another door, then I'll, I'll have a look inside and see whether that's worth walking through. And part of me was kind of like, potentially this is because what he's going to do is he's going to open up a door and it's going to go to like bigger and better things, you know? It's almost like I had a bit of a prosperity gospel vibe going on. Um, and lo and behold, one day I'm at work and I get this call from this woman well, that I've only met once. And she goes, hey, Tommy, how are you? And I'm like, I'm really good. How are you? This is random. I haven't seen you since we were in Spain on like a, yeah, just another like perk of the job, going to Spain, food and wine tour, all paid for. It was crazy. You know, can you get why I didn't want to give up this job? But I was kind of like, this is really good. And she calls me up. She's like, hey, it was really good being on that food and wine tour in Spain. I was like, it's great. Um, and she's like, what are you doing next week? And I was like, I don't know. Why? She's like, because we want you to move to Sydney. And we'll pay you like $100,000 if you just say yes right now. And I was like, what? I was like, if this is the thing that I thought was stirring inside of me, I was like, thank you, Jesus, for this. I was like, this is exactly the kind of God I'm after. Um, and like, I was like, I like to tell Brooke. I was like, this is crazy. Someone's just called me up and been like, we're going to move to Sydney. We're going to get paid lots of money. It's going to be great. Um, so yeah, like quite quickly, um, things didn't quite work out because Brooke and I were probably like, okay, this is quite a cool opportunity. Like certainly, like seriously, we're like, this could be exactly what we might be being called into because Brooke had also sort of felt that things were in Auckland at this stage. Things weren't kind of where she wanted them to be. And so we're like, this could be it. And um, of course, we sought some wise counsel around that. And quite quickly, people just like straight up challenged us on like, why would we move to Sydney for this amount of money? Like, what was the actual purpose of it? Was God calling us there? Or was it just an opportunity? And um, yeah, we came to the conclusion, sadly, that it was just an opportunity and that God actually didn't have anything to do with it. Um, which it was really hard at the time, was to go like, man, all of the things that potentially we could have done, all of the things that, um, I think particularly for Brooke and I, we also had some really good motives of like, look what we could do for our family. If we earned a little bit more money, we could support certain people in certain ways. Um, but yeah, that wasn't what God was calling us into. And I couldn't be like more grateful that we didn't move to Sydney um, and take that opportunity because um, I wouldn't be here for one. Um, and, yeah, that's probably the main thing, to be honest. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here with you guys. I'd be rich. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, so after that, sort of time went on, and I kept doing what I was doing, um, and keep sort of hustling and, and trying to do well in the job. But I think after the Sydney thing, it was just like a really big revelation that something had changed, and that actually, yeah, we were right in thinking that God was calling us out of something and into something new. So that then sort of created quite a bit of anxiety. If like, well then, if 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 I'm going to give this up, like, what is going to take its place? Um, and eventually, before we sort of got to the what is going to take its place vibes, we got to the point of like actually. The first thing we need to do is to get out of Auckland and come down to Wellington. Um, and so we're like, okay, that's really cool. Um, and we were sort of in the process of, of working out the move and how it would work. And I was uh, in court one day for work covering this murder trial. And that was when the whisper like turned into a voice quite quickly. And um, I was sitting there sort of doing my thing. Um, and I just heard God like audibly say to me, you're sitting in the wrong seat. And I was like, oh, like what does this mean? Like you're sitting in the wrong seat. And I kind of looked around the room and I was like, am I meant to be a judge? <laughs> am I going to like murder someone and be in the, the box over there? Um, yeah, yeah. So that didn't happen. But um, that really... That really changed um, my perspective. I was like, okay, yeah, this is it. This whole thing of me sort of playing games with God and trying to discern and trying to work out, like God was just like, actually, you're sitting in the wrong seat. You need to be sitting somewhere else, and you need to go and do that. And so Brooke and I are like, sweet, we'll move to Wellington. And from Wellington, we'll be in a space. Like, we'll, we intentionally like, we'll come to Blueprint because this, this will be a space, and we know it to be a space where, like, making these decisions will probably be a lot easier because there are just people living lives that are slightly different to the norm in this space, um, which is really beautiful. So we're like, cool, we'll move to Wellington, we set a date, and then Brooke talked to her work, and they were like, oh yeah, so like, you want to move to Wellington, that's really cool. Um, instead of resigning, how about we pay you um, like just like, I don't know, like upwards of 10k to stay here for another six months. So you can still, you can still move and do the God thing, um, but you just need to waylay it six months and we'll pay you some money, like enough money to go on like a nice holiday um, or maybe put a deposit on, Not I don't know if you can buy a house with 10k, but <laughs> go towards the deposit on a house. Um, and we were like, wow, like is this something that God has is, is given us? Like is this an opportunity for us to, to, you know, stay a little bit longer, maybe have a bit more time um, to, to work out what we're going to do? But I think after the Sydney thing, we were kind of like, I bet you it's not. Like, I bet you, <laughs> bet you we're just going to move to Wellington. Um, and yeah, we went through the same process again, I suppose, after the Sydney thing. We were kind of like, you just trust the process, right? Of like actually putting this before God and putting it before other people that um, are able to see more clearly um, some of the things that you might be blinded by. And again, the decision was like, actually, no, we're going to move to Wellington and we'll just work out finding jobs and all that kind of stuff and not worry about this this extra bit of money and this opportunity that had um, presented itself. So we came to Wellington. You'd think at this point I'm like moving towards a more comfortable space in terms of like there's action, there's things moving. Okay, yeah, maybe I'm going to start letting this go. Um, but I wasn't. I was still quite convinced that somehow I would sort of hang on to this um, and that my identity... Um, wouldn't be shaken because God would sort of keep me in the industry or he'd keep me somehow attached to everything that I've built. 
And I think it's clear, like at this point, I, I certainly realised that work had become an idol. Um, Tim Keller says that an idol is, um, I don't want to get this right, is a good thing turned into the ultimate thing. So like work is this really good thing, but like how many of us have turned it into the ultimate thing? Are like, no, actually this sort of comes above everything else. And for some of you, it may not be as explicit as it was for me. Certainly I wasn't walking around thinking that work was an idol, um, but, it, but it definitely was. And I think in our culture, certainly the culture that we live in, um, but also sometimes in Christian culture, um, we just don't really call it for what it is, that work is an idol. And it's very much an idol that um, has become normalised. And it's a very easy idol to attach to because no one's often going to call you out on it. And it's also hard because no one actually knows if you're, you've got an idol or whether you're just a really hard worker. Like, I don't think anyone um, in my church in Auckland would have been like, oh, you've got this massive idol, it's work. They just would have been like, oh, you're really successful and God's blessing you and what you do. And there certainly was some blessing in that. But the reality was that in my heart, um, work came before other things. And more than the work, because it wasn't necessarily the work, it was my identity in the work. The good news is that, um, yeah, God, of course, offers us an alternative way to think about work and put work in its rightful place. So that doesn't mean that we all quit our jobs. Um, but let me explain further. Um, so Paul says, and I think we've got to, if we go to um, the next, well, that's the second point. Yeah, and um, so this is a, this, like in terms of speaking about work, there's so much scripture associated with work that it's really, obviously, A, very important to God, but B, there's just so much content. I just stuck with this verse because this really struck me. So in Colossians 3, and Paul's writing after Jesus' resurrection, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything, um, and do it not only when there is an eye on you um, to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So when we invite Jesus into our life, and when we invite him into, um, well, firstly, when we invite him into our life, we actually have access and the power to put something as strong as work in its rightful place, because work is very strong. Um, and the reality is that, yeah, we are called to live different lives. We're called to live lives that are prophetic, that are reflective of the kingdom. And if we buy into the culture of work that the world sells us, then that's not going to work. Um, and one of the defining things about us as Christians is where we place our hope. And our hope actually isn't in our work. Um, our hope is actually in something we can't work for. And that's God's love and identity in him. So we're in this culture where everything that we want, we have to earn and we have to, we're told we have to work hard and if you work hard, you get it. But the greatest gift of all is actually freely given. And I think this is quite a significant part to play in how we think about work. Um, so yeah, I think point two. Can we go to point two? <coughs> so I think we've turned work into property that is a good thing into the ultimate thing. And we're called as Christians to remember that identity isn't something, something we cannot earn. It's God's love. So if we're in that space, right? If we're like, okay, this is our identity. We cannot earn God's love. It's actually got nothing to do with how we work. This gives us a really good starting point. 
of how we can put work in its rightful place. So if we go to the next slide. Yeah, so these are some points that um, I've sort of gathered from various people. The first thing is that work is not a write-off, all right? Like work, even though that there has been corruption and even though the culture is kind of overtaking it, God still cares really deeply about our work. Like he cares really deeply about what you do during the day. Um, and if you haven't thought about that, then I'd like seriously cons- like ask you to consider, um, yeah, like putting that before God. And um, it doesn't mean that we all have to go off and become monks. But I think, um, in case any of you were thinking that, but um, the challenge is to really ask, like, God, where do you want us to put our gifts? Because God has gifted each one of you. He's also calling us to do something with those gifts and to work. I think, secondly, God wants us to enjoy and take, to take delight in what we're doing. Um, this is evident in his commissioning, commissioning of Adam and Eve and his encouragement to work in the scripture. Like, Adam and Eve were the, the first humans and of all the things he could have asked them to do, he goes, yeah, like, go off and do some work. Um, and I think it's because when God believes that work is done right, it can be extremely life-giving for us. Like, it doesn't actually have to be this constant toll, this thing that we sort of dread going to, that it can be, like, this really beautiful thing. Thirdly, in terms of putting work in its rightful place, I think we really just need to trust God's his providence, eh? Yeah. I want to say providence, but um, it's not a word. Yeah. So, like, I think particularly for me, this is the area where um, I certainly fell down. Like, trusting God's providence um, just wasn't something that I really had much of an understanding on. And I think um, if you're in the corporate space and you are sort of in the, the hustle and bustle of um, earning money and uh, trying to negotiate pay and that kind of thing, is that we can really um, be tempted to buy into the idea that we should be kicking down the doors. And um, I think in particular for females, there's a real tension here because there is some kicking that needs to be done um, when it comes to pay equality within the, within like the marketplace. Um, but I think it needs to really be tempered, both male and female and, and um, whatever else you identify as, is that actually um, God is here to do the heavy lifting in our work. Like, he is there, he is in control. If we place him at the centre, then those things should flow from that. And I'm not saying that you should wait for a pay rise. You should definitely pursue those things and ask for those things when appropriate. But I think it's knowing when is the right time to push and when is the right time to pull back. Um, Because, again, I think we can fall into the trap of just exhausting ourselves, of just pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, Things that were never meant to be pushed in the first place, And unless we're speaking to God and asking God to speak into our work, we won't actually ever know um, what we should put our hand to and what not to put our hand to. Because basically the culture just says, if there's an opportunity, run for it. Um, Work is not wasted, right? Um, And this is probably one of the things that I I really love about work as a Christian. Um, And, you know, I work for the media, very secular industry. Um, Like, yeah, was not... Um, in any kind of missional space as we would sort of refer to it um, here, like I was just told to turn up, produce content um, get the clicks and, um, and go home um, but the, the big call for all of us as Christians is to partake in the restoration of God's kingdom here on earth 
So we're reconciling what, um, what has happened and we're stewarding the things that God has given us um, for his gospel. And in doing so, we're righting the wrongs of sort of what happened in the Garden of Eden when we bring the kingdom back here um, in our workplaces. And I honestly believe that we can all partake in this mission. Like, I actually believe that me, as a secular, in a secular workplace, working as a journalist, like, I actually did have a role to play in that. And I, the majority of the stuff that I wrote about was crime and, like, um, really grim, horrific stuff. And so there were really times where I felt challenged of, like, well, what, what am I doing in terms of building the kingdom when other people are out there, um, you know, doing really noble, wonderful things? And I think for me, the area which I realized God was actually like, this is one thing that you can do, was um, about showing where my hope lied and actually being like, yeah, there's actually people in my workplace, there's people around me that don't know who Jesus is. Now, I'll get to the point about speaking about Jesus, but there's things that I can do here. Like I can reconcile or speak into someone's relationship problems while we're having lunch, or I can talk to them about like my family here and how like I operate, or um, I can just encourage, right? So like it it is hard um, to sometimes find where are we doing the restoration? Where are we doing the work that we, we know God is calling us to? But I would say like, do not discount that whatever workplace you are in, that God wants you to do something. Because the reality is, like, if we're not in those workplaces and we're not in those spaces, then like, who is going to speak into those those people's lives and who is going to bring a different perspective to what is going on? So, on the point of sharing sharing our faith, um, you know, like this is such a complex issue. Like anyone that works for you know anything other than like a Christian organization will know that it is quite tricky and probably one of the bigger things that we, we struggle with. I think um, to begin with, for me, uh, this has been quite difficult and probably the area where I feel that I need to have the most repentance over um, because I, I met a lot of broken people in my work. Like I met a lot of grieving people, a lot of people who... Um, you know, sometimes I would I would turn up hours after something really horrific had happened to them. Or sometimes I was there when something horrific happened to them. Um, and often I didn't uh, partake in the sharing of any kind of um, thing to do with my faith because I just didn't know how. Um, so I think there's a softer edge and a harder edge to, to sharing our faith. Um, Tim Keller has this like, beautiful line that um, when you get on a plane, you actually don't need the pilot to tell you that he loves Jesus. You actually need the pilot to know how to fly the plane. Um, and for many of us, like our job descriptions, the old JD has nothing about Jesus Christ in it. Um, and we just have to be realistic about that. Like if we are working in the marketplace, we're working in a, a secular environment, we're talking about Jesus, it's probably not going to be something that we're going to be able to do um, very easily. So the softer edge, I think, um, to being a Christian in the marketplace is really simple things that, uh, again, I've fallen down on, but actually, when done right and just when done consistently, do work. Um, and there are things like not gossiping. Like, that's a huge thing that happens in the workplace. But if you're like, actually, you know, if someone's going to start gossiping, like, oh, actually, I feel like this is entering into gossip, I'm not going to engage. People are like, wow, like, that's, that's interesting, that's different. Um, not becoming cynical. That's something that I like had to apologise for when I left my work. Was like, I was like, actually, I've become cynical here. 
and that should never have happened because I'm the one that is actually meant to have the hope and I'm the one that's meant to like reflect that back to my colleagues. And then other things like the old Friday night drinks, just like really um, putting yourself in a, an even harder position if you turn up to Friday night drinks and you're drinking excessively. And there's a real temptation when we are in the corporate world because that is just such a, a big part of often how um, our, our teams and the people that we really love at our work relax. Um, and certainly for me, I had to learn that actually there was no good that was going to come out of me being in that space because I kind of like, oh, you know, I go have a few beers and talk about Jesus and wait for the old gospel conversation to come up. Like, no, that conversation usually never did happen. And if it did happen, like, it's after a few beers and it wasn't ever going to go anywhere. Um, so I actually got into the habit of actually just not drinking around work colleagues. Um, and it was one of the probably more beneficial decisions um, that I made and was one that was really noticed as well, which I think was, like, telling. Um, and the other one I put down was just not swearing. Like, again, I have fallen down on this many a time um, in, like, a very stressful newsroom and there's things flying and people stressing out and spelling mistakes and, you know, stuff. Um, and... Uh, but just not swearing was something that I tried to just be really disciplined in and felt like that actually did make a difference as well. People were like, oh, like, you're changing, like something's going on here. So we can really easily ignore the small stuff. But So that's the softer edge. The harder edge, I suppose, is just being bold. And I think this is the area where we sometimes give ourselves a lot of passes over. We're kind of like, oh, actually, yeah, I don't know if I could or I don't think now's the right time. Um... Certainly for me, I felt like I had a real justified uh, dis like, sort of way of not talking about my faith because A, you know, I'm meant to be this impartial journalist and I can't let anything taint my work so they shouldn't know that I'm a Christian, which is, it was just BS, it was just me sort of making things up. Um, but also, like, I just, like, I don't know about you guys, but my, my workplace was, like, very anti-Christian. Um, like, my boss said to me one day, I put it down here, um, oh yeah, that every Christian should be shot. Um, and I was like, like yeah, just like, like seriously, so I really just think every Christian should just be shot. And I was like, hmm, um, like won't be telling you what I did on the weekend. Um, and then it's just awkward, right, as well, when you talk about the weekend, like, oh, what did you do on the weekend? Like, I know, like, I drank the blood of Christ and had his body. Like, you know, like, it's kind of, yeah. Um, I was kind of like, I actually don't know how to answer that question. But also I think probably one of my main motivations around sort of distancing myself from talking openly about my faith was that people just were really hurt by the church. And I was actually just really ashamed. I was like, this is, this is really embarrassing. And I can see that hurt and that hurt is like totally legitimate. Um, and I, I don't want to be um, yeah, adding more hurt to that. And I also don't want you to, um, to judge me, you know, like because... Uh, we are judged for being Christian a lot of the time because of the, the past hurt that people have had. But that doesn't mean also that you just like that you go around telling everyone that you're a Christian. Like Brooke and I have got this extended like member of the family, very extended, um, and he like thinks it's. A, and this came via like someone that I know. I didn't know that he was doing this. That when he's in the car with work colleagues, he'll just speed and take his hand off the wheel and be like, "Don't worry, I trust God." Um, and like just being like, yeah, that's probably not going to work when it comes to like converting people um, to the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Um, I think probably we just need to look for opportunities when it comes to this bolder side of things. 
look for opportunities um, and be ready and prepared to talk about our faith. And I think the best thing that we can do if we are talking about it here is to just try and be more upfront that you are a Christian. I think when people know that you're a Christian, um, first and foremost, you get over that hurdle. And once that hurdle's passed, people often like will either ask you questions or they won't ask you questions. And then you can just go on being your usual self. Um, so I don't know, maybe all of you are in workplaces where people know that you're a Christian and good on you for for being upfront and honest about that. But for the other people, I just say like, yeah, it's okay to feel scared and a little bit unsure about how you will be received. Um, but I just say that, yeah, for me, when I decided that I'd be more upfront about who I was um, and, and, and what I stood for, that, that was actually really welcomed. And I think in a way, if I hadn't done that, people just would have been really disappointed um, because it became this, this, this part of me. And yeah, people took the mickey out of me um, and like I was always, everyone's like, oh, you know, if there's ever a problem, talk to Tommy, he's a very spiritual man. Um, it's like lots of jokes about the spiritual things and like, look busy, Jesus is coming, those kinds of things. But like, I could wear all of that and it was all, it was all in good humour. Um, and it was actually important once I, once I said that I was a Christian and I was able to be more upfront and open about this, that when I did speak into things, people did listen. Because they were like, oh, actually, there is something different about your life. Like there is something different about the way in which you talk and the way in which you you speak and the way in which you drink and the way in which you have a relationship with God. And this certainly came at the end of my um, career, not at the start. So in terms of where I was at, in terms of my story, um, we, were, we, were, we were living in Wellington, weren't we? We turned down all this money and we're living in Wellington, really happy. Um, and I still don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and we're coming to Blueprint, which is really cool, loving it. And I eventually decide I'll go and study counselling. So I was kind of like, cool. Like, I've, I've, I've gone through this process of building this career, having this amazing time, coming to terms with it. It's actually a really core cool part of my identity. And then I'll, like, go and study counselling, maybe part-time, and I'll work part-time. And, um, yeah, it'll all work out. Um, so I went to my work and I was like, hey, so, you know, I've had this amazing career, you know, like I'm, I'm a big hotshot, you know, been at the top for a long time, yeah, go me. And I was like, I want to go part-time to study counselling. And they're like, cool, that's cool, you can resign and um, we just, we won't see you again. And I was like, oh, okay, but what about all this, what about me? Like, what about my, all that thing that I built in, in my identity? And like, you know how, like, I have this redemptive story that I've been telling about my life? Like, of course they were like, no, like, you're either here or you're not here and you don't want to be here. So you have to go. And I was like, man, that is, that is the true sense of an idol, right? Like it'll always fall apart. It'll always backfire on you. It'll always feel like the right thing. But then when you need it, it's never there. So as I mentioned, sort of one weekend now um, of no job. And my ego feels like really sore. Um, someone asked me the other day, like, how am I? And I was like, to be honest, like, it's really humbling. Like, I, I see the news every morning and I see what all my colleagues are up to. It's not like I don't know what they're doing, it's in the news. And I'm like, they're doing all these cool things and I'm just kind of like sitting at home with my books and my study. And I'm like, yeah, this is, this is very different. This is not the redemptive story that I thought I was going to be telling with my life. And I'm not invited to things anymore. Like... Jacinda's probably going to forget who I am, you know? It's like a big deal, guys. Um, I think also, like, just throughout the years that I felt called 
Um, <laughs> thanks, Michael. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, yeah, I think I felt cool to go and study counselling, and eventually, when I got to that stage, and I eventually sort of let go of work. Um, God was able to really speak clearly to me because um, Rose said something to me this week that it was so sort of encapsulated what it is that I had done was that God had given me this really good thing that was work. He gifted me in that area. I had excelled in that area and that was all good. There's nothing bad with that. But what had happened was that I had taken what he'd given me and sort of held it against my chest. And when he was like to me with that whisper, like, hey, I think it's time for you to put this down, I was like, absolutely no way am I going to do that. And that was the issue. Like this whole sort of torment around, do we go to Sydney or do we stay in Auckland and have more money? And like, why is this so hard? And I feel anxious and all of that was because I was clinging too tightly to what was a gift in the first place. There was no guarantee when I started having all that success and all of the good stuff that happened, that that was going to be forever. But I was like, no, actually, I'll take that, thank you. Um, and I clung to it. And an idol is like a very, very empty thing. Um, and like my hope is that for all of us, if there are idols in our lives, that we can identify them and let them go. Because it's a, it's a real pain, and it's a real process if we don't. And then God gets to the point where he's like, okay, now you have to let it go. Like, I've, I've been trying, I've been trying, I'm trying, and now you've got to. Um, yeah, and I think also, like I talked about that redemptive story, it's kind of cliche, but the truth is that I, I had created a story about redemption that didn't involve God. Like, God was kind of like a supporting act, you know? It's kind of like a character, but he wasn't the main thing. Um, and that was a real issue as well. So now I'm here, and I'm trying to tell this new story of my life. Um... And if we go to the next slide. Yeah, I think my life and everything that I've learned can be summed up in this quote, which I think was from Mother Teresa, um, that God doesn't call us to be successful. He actually calls us to be faithful. So when we think about, like, think about your life and your jobs and your work and your study and the thing that you do during the day, like, are you trying to be successful in it or are you being faithful? And if you're being faithful in it, then you're on the right track. But if we're trying to be successful, and that is the only, if that is the main thing, then I fear that you will run into trouble like I did. Because it was only when I learned to be faithful and not worry about the success that I was actually able to have the success that I needed to have. And this doesn't mean that I've arrived also. Like, I'm going into like a people-centred role of, of becoming a counsellor or whatever. But like, the reality is that I can easily put my identity in there. And I would say that I'm sure the people here that are sort of more in the mission field would say that there's a real risk of putting their identity and what they're doing in the mission field. Um, so it doesn't mean that just because you're in a corporate role that that is, that is a bad thing. And I think we, we are at risk um, as Christians to swing the pendulum the other way and create work as being this really bad and evil thing um, and demonising people who are in corporate jobs and whatever and I don't think that's the case either and like just to be clear I'm, I am really proud of some of the work that I did while I was a journalist and I did feel that God was blessing me in some of that work and I think it yeah it just comes back to this thing being, being faithful and not successful um, maybe if you guys want to jump up soon, do you want to jump up here?
Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, as we ponder our sort of relationship with work and our relationship with God, I just want to re- like remind us um, that repentance is at the heart of that. And that repentance is this really beautiful freeing thing that in Lent we sort of are able to shine a light on and focus on. Um, repentance, the idea that we can come before God and just say, hey, look, I'm sorry that I don't have everything in the right order here. And like, would you help me maybe shift number three up to number one and maybe number two down to number nine or something? I really feel like the call tonight is that just for us to really reflect on our work, reflect on our study, reflect on what it is that you do. Um, Firstly, be reminded that God is like stoked um, that you and wants to put your hand to something. He's given you good gifts. Um, But also remember that, yeah, we are trying to reconcile our relationship with work and go back to the parameters that God set within the garden. Our work should be um, should be first and foremost in our identity with Christ. Um, that is the thing that we don't have to work for. And then everything else um, should flow from that. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light.